Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Our scripture reading is from Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you'd like to turn with me or join me uh, in your worship guide. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. It's, um, it seems like it's just getting easier and easier to renounce faith in Jesus when it's just a Instagram post away. I don't know if you guys have uh, noticed uh, just over the last year or so, it seems like this trend has just kind of picked up of people who have been followers of Jesus, even pastors, have just gotten to a point where in their life where, for whatever reason, um, Jesus no longer is compelling to them, and they no longer uh, follow him or profess faith in him. And it can just be a simple, you know, Twitter post. Um, the ex evangelical, um, you know, hashtag is very. It's it's. There's a lot of people that are in this kind of. Uh, this is their life, right? Where they they grew up. They've had some sort of exposure to Jesus. Had some sort of faith in him and then for whatever reason whether they just finally got to a point where they just said look Jesus and the Bible it just doesn't fit with what I believe about the world and what I'm hearing from other places and just what I'm going to choose to believe in and so I'm distancing myself from him or whether it's because there's been you know legitimate hurt from the church or from people in the name of Christ there maybe it's not a mental barrier but it's you know an emotional barrier and I've just gone to a place where it's like, look, I'm not doing this anymore. And if I'm honest, you know, sometimes when I see posts like that, you know, on a bad day, there's something appealing about it. Because, you know, thank goodness you're, you don't have my job whenever someone says, so what do you do when you meet them somewhere? And it's like, well, I can't hide it today. You know, I just got to go there. I'm, I'm a pastor, you know. And there's, if I'm honest, there's, there's many days where it's like, ah, oh, man, I just, I don't even want to have that conversation right now. I don't want to go there. Um, you know, when I think about just, especially, it just seems that it's increasing and increasing the, um, that the basic beliefs of who Jesus is, of what the Bible has to say, um, is becoming more and more at odds with, you know, the cultural uh, tune. And it can be isolating. It can be uh, disorienting to say, how do I navigate my life professing faith in Jesus in a world, in a time, in a culture that um, is more and more against it and is more and more finding its 
not only offensive, but even violent, right? Um, that is not anything new. That's actually what uh, the book of Hebrews largely, as we're starting our study in this book today, that's actually largely what it was written about. Most scholars uh, agree that Hebrews, though we don't know the exact author, we actually know a good bit else about it. We actually have a pretty good understanding of who it was written to, and it was written to a, most likely a small house church um, in Italy in the first century. So in Italy, in Rome, during that time, persecution was, uh, against Christians was increasing. Um, Judaism was the accepted you know, religion at the time. And if you were a follower of Christ, if you profess faith in him, then it hadn't gotten violent yet, but it was getting there. Almost kind of like where, where we're at, right? I mean, you can't say that, like, I mean, it's hard to say as, you know, as an American, there's true persecution when you think about the places in the world where the churches had to go underground because of, you know, true, real, violent persecution. And that's kind of where they were. It hadn't gotten there yet, but there was enough, you know, cultural, societal, relational, pressure of like what you believe as a follower of Jesus is so against the wider culture that they were starting to you know be oppressed and this letter is written to this small house church of believers who were wrestling with how do we continue to follow Jesus even when it's probably going to mean at some point persecution it may it may even at some point mean violence or even my own death. Again, I don't know about you, but there's, there's part of me at times where um, even though I love Jesus and I know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, there are times when it's like I'm just tired of feeling like I'm swimming upstream. There's sometimes where I'm just like, it would just be nice to just fit in with the world and not have to be a fish swimming upstream. And the writer of Hebrews, his answer to this small house church in Italy, and his answer to, to you and I, with that honest struggle of, I love Jesus, I know him, I know he's the way, the truth, and life, and yet I still at times wrestle with not being ashamed of him. His answer, time and time again, is consider Jesus. For whatever reason, he thinks that that's actually really all that we need in, to gain confidence as a follower of Jesus in the world in whatever time, you know, whatever generation, whatever place. This is the answer to, and we see this come up again and again and again throughout the book of Hebrews. Consider Jesus. Look at him. There's something about specifically the Son, something about Jesus Christ that when you get around him, when you begin to understand him more increasingly, that that's actually the key that you know, unlocks, uh, unlocks everything else to follow Jesus, even if it means you know, persecution and just generally not being the, the, in, the, in, in, the, the in crowd, the cool kids, so to speak. The writer of Hebrews, um, you know, I've, kind of goes, it kind of goes about it like um, this, there's a quote that's, you know, unattributed to who actually said it, but it goes something like, you know, if you want to build um, a boat, 
Don't gather people and tell them the instructions on what wood to get and how to assemble it. Tell them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. That's kind of what Hebrews is doing for us. It's not saying, look, just you know, drown out the, the, the noise of the world. Don't have your doubts. Don't have your questions. Simply saying, Jesus is actually better. Jesus is actually more consistent. He's actually more coherent. He's actually more satisfying. If you will consider him. So as we look at this, uh, this first section of Hebrews, the very opening of it, where we see the author doing just that, you know, helping us yearn for the vastness and endlessness and immensity of who Christ is, we're really going to focus on actually just the first two verses, because really what, um, the first four verses, but we're going to have to spend most of our time on those first two verses. Um, if you were to read the rest of chapter one, uh, you'd see that it goes on to uh, really address something that at the time was very, uh, you know, potent issue for them of, uh, and it's not so much for us now and how we're thinking about things, um, but just how Jesus is better than angels. These celestial beings that have been sent to be ministering spirits, um, Jesus is better than them. And that's a refrain that we'll see all throughout the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better than. Referring to all these things, particularly in the Old Testament, but also just in the world. And so I want us to kind of just focus on this very beginning portion. And as we do this, we're going to walk through this in two sections. Um, The first is doing Christianity without Christ. There's just kind of this compare and contrast that's happening in these first two opening verses. Doing Christianity without Christ, and then secondly, doing Christianity with Christ. Because it is actually very possible, and you may be doing it right now to some degree or another, doing your Christianity without Christ, having a Christless Christianity. So look with me in verse 1, doing Christianity without Christ says this, long ago, which I love that. It just makes me think of Star Wars, right? Far, you know, a galaxy far, far away. Long ago. Kind of bringing up all this, you know, ancient history. At many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Just want to stop there. Long ago, and many times, and, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, the first thing I want to say is this. And that we can't miss, we can't just say, well, yeah, that's just obvious. But that it says, God spoke. Our God is a speaking God. I used this illustration uh, a few months back, but I thought about it again when I was reading this. But um, one of Allie's uh, grandfathers was known for just the fact that he didn't really, he didn't express his feelings or emotions to his family really at all, which is not uncommon, you know, for that generation, but he, Ali's mom has never heard, he's passed away now, never heard him say, I love you. None of the grandkids ever heard that, and then he passed away a few years back, um, and the whole family went up to, he lived on this ranch in Wyoming, went up to the ranch, and they were going through the house, cleaning stuff out, and they went into his bedroom, and there was on all four walls, pictures of all the grandkids and all of his kids and all this memories of the people that he loved, but that he just couldn't speak it. That's not our God. He's not a 
He's not John Wayne. He's not, you know, this rough, gruff, individualistic, you know, guy from the 50s who's just like, you're not gonna be able to figure me out. He lays his heart out again and again and again in his word for us. And he's spoken. And he's spoken at many times and in many ways. Now, again, he's, this is getting our attention back to the Old Testament because what becomes obvious right here is that there's really two parts to the Bible. There's really two parts to how God has unveiled his heart and his plan for the world, for sinners, you and me. He's done it in two parts. The danger is this, is that you may only hear the first part. You might only get the first part, even if you think you've got the second part. It's easy to actually live like, you know, live like you're a follower of Christ and actually just be operating like you're Old Testament only. Um, it's kind of like, you know, we, we live in this, uh, in our neighborhood, they're building new houses around us. And uh, they're working on these, uh, townhomes right to our left now and it's kind of just it's kind of crazy how fast you know things will start to pick up with these houses but for a while it took you know quite a while for them to get the foundation done and then just like in one day it was just the foundation and then all the the walls went up now it's just the two by fours no you know um no walls actually up yet no drywall but what if what if they just stopped right there and they're like all right we're gonna sell the house full full asking price. No roof, no electricity, no plumbing, just a slab and some two by fours. Obviously, no one would buy that, right? No one, you can't live in that. And yet that's kind of like how some of us and all of us to varying degrees, depending on the day, depending on where we're at in our life, live our life in terms of our relationship with Jesus. It's easy to go back into a Old Testament way of thinking, which is ultimately defined by the Ten Commandments, which was God's you know, rules for, look, I'm not going to abandon you, but you've got to live this way. And then ultimately he, goes, you know, he develops this whole process of the temple and animal sacrifices so that humans could be in his presence. He wanted that. But there was all these things they had to do and they had to get it right. And if you just read the Old Testament and raise your hand if you're with me, oftentimes it's confusing. Anybody want to say it's confusing? Anybody want to say it does sometimes feel, even though it's not true, like there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God? Sometimes? Even though we know it's not true because there are glimmers of the heart of God for his love for sinners and his promise in the future to come and to do something about us and the mess that we've made, but it hasn't happened yet. And so there is, if you just read that, and you can even read that too much into the New Testament, you can read too much of that, you can import too much of that into Jesus to where Jesus in his unique contribution to revealing about God's true heart for you, it can become completely, uh, completely messed up and completely hidden. And you get to the point where if you, if you only go based on, you know, part one, you end up very burdened. You end up very, feeling very condemned. 
all the time, even if you don't want to admit it, you end up thinking that, you know, the picture that God has on his face when he thinks of you could never be something remotely nice or happy or proud. You know, if, if, when you think of God's face, if what you think of is anger and disappointment and frustration and being embarrassed and ashamed of you, you are living in a part one relationship with God. You're living in an Old Testament, Old Covenant way of relating to God. God is very, he was very intentional about developing this story throughout the Bible, throughout history. But it is so easy to live with just a cement slab and two by fours. And that oftentimes leaves you and can leave me um, comparing ourselves to other people who name the name of Christ. And we can look at them and we can say, well, I don't pray like them. I don't love like them. I'm not patient like them. I'm not as consistent in my walk with Christ as them. I don't evangelize like them. I'm not what, and you compare yourself to them. And that's, that is a um, result of, that's a, that's a symptom of living with a old part one relationship and way of relating with God. It is entirely possible for you to be sitting here today doing Christianity without Christ, which ultimately means what? That you're doing Christianity on your own. You've put a cross on your back, and Jesus, right, he says, take up your cross and follow me. But it is possible to simply feel like you have to take up your cross. No follow me about it. No him being the, the one who went there first. It's just me trying to prove myself to God and, and get his attention. And that is not what God has for us. And ultimately, if you're there, right, if you say, look, that's... I'm willing to buy that house and move in there, how long is that gonna last? It won't last very long, right? One today comes through and you're like, I'm out. That's, that's the author of Hebrews. That, that's what he's saying to us. He's like, I, I want you to get the beauty and the glory and the depth and the coherence and the satisfaction of Christ. Don't miss it. Which brings us to part two, doing Christianity with Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. So he's opening up, you know, look, it is possible to, to be thinking God hasn't said anything else from the old. Because he did. He spoke then. And it's the same house. It's not, like a, it's not like he's contradicting anything he said then, but it's just, it's being added to now. It's being finished to something that you can move into and live and, you know, have parties and build a family, you know, enjoy. So verse two, but in these last days, which, you know, according to the Bible, we would call these the last stage, right? In terms of not like, oh no, it could just end any moment, which it could, but more so that this is kind of the last chapter of what God has been working at doing to restore the world to himself before it's, you know, completely uh, judged and renewed by him and through him. 
starting you know, with the, the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the, we're now in the last day, so to speak. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a book, by a specific charismatic preacher or speaker or prophet or vision in the night sky. He has spoken to us by his son. You see this many times, many ways. God spoke to our, our fathers by the prophets. It's like this, it's like a funnel, right? It starts really wide. God's saying a lot of things. It's all coherent. It's all on the same page. But he's saying a lot of different things a lot of different times in a lot of different ways. And then it gets, you turn the page into the New Testament, and it's like it just goes right to this one point. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The author of Hebrews. God, once you cannot be too Jesus-focused. You can't. You can't. You cannot be in your own mind, your own spirit. You can't be too centered on Christ. You're not going to do anything wrong with your theology if you, if you emphasize him, right? Because that's what the Bible does. The Bible is... is the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Son is the one that's you know, constantly getting held up. Now, he's obviously you know, submitting to his Father and doing what he does in, in the power of the Spirit, but the Son is the one that's getting um, lifted high again and again and again. If you'll um, look with me, you can turn there if you want. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 17 is saying a similar thing in a different way. Matthew 17, I'll read this for us, is what's referred to as the transfiguration. And if you've read this before, if you're familiar with it, um, I think there's something here that can sometimes get overlooked and missed in this. So this is what it says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for, your, uh, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, what can be easy to kind of get caught up with and think, well, what, what's that all about? Is, is this transfiguration thing where Jesus starts shining, right? Which is amazing in and of itself. But what we can miss is what begins to happen with Moses and Elijah and Peter. Because out of nowhere, Moses shows up. He's long gone. Elijah shows up. He's long gone. And both Moses represents part one of, I guess if you got part one, he's like A. And then Elijah is B. So it's the law and the prophets. That's what they represent. All the old, they show up. And Peter 
you know, he's like, this is amazing. We've got Jesus here. Now we've got Moses and Elijah. I mean, the people that he's, you know, read about in the Old Testament and he's talked about and he's learned about, just like you and me, just show up. And he's like, this is great. This, let's build a house. Let's make tents. I want, you to, I want all of you to stay. And as he's in the middle of saying that, he gets cut off by God. I was like, no, 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 no. And then he speaks, this is my beloved son in the presence of the law and the prophets, in the presence of Moses and Elijah. He says, this is my beloved son. This is the one you need to focus on. This is the one you need to listen to. They were, they were the foundation. They were the two by fours. This is the finished product. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. Listen to what he is going to do. When he goes to the cross, when he rises from the dead, putting death in its grave, ushering in a whole new creation, listen to him. God the Father is giving you permission to emphasize Jesus over Moses and Elijah. He's giving you permission to put on Jesus glasses when you read the Bible. He's giving you permission to make Jesus more central to your life and your heart than he currently is. Because, as if you want to flip back to Hebrews, he goes on to say, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the one through whom the, the whole world was created. The whole universe is upheld by the power of his word. Talking about the son who has existed for eternity and at one point in time became the man Jesus Christ. And he remains him. And he is now seated at the right hand of the father as a man with holes in his hands and his side. He is the, he's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. But he's also the one who has made purification for sins. And not only that, but the one who's made purification for sins is now the one that sits in the place of authority. He made everything. He sustains it all. He died. And now he has the Father's ear because he's earned it. And he has become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Doing Christianity with Christ. There was a, in the third century after Christ, there was a very uh, well-known and um, accredited uh, actor and comedian in Rome named Genesius. And he was, you know, well-known for doing these skits. I mean, it kind of makes me think of, like, SNL. Like, these little, like, short sketches and things where he would improvise stuff and play characters and do these bits. And at this time, um, he, you know, he was in Rome, and Christianity was gaining speed there, but, um, you know, it still hadn't been completely fully accepted just yet. And, you know, persecution was, you know, still kind of increasing at the time. And there was just a general kind of, like, now, like, like how there always will be. Just kind of a general, like, man, we just don't like, we just don't like Christians. We just don't like Jesus in the world. 
And he decided to do this uh, satirical sketch where he would get baptized and kind of make fun of it as he was doing it. And so they did this whole sketch and the emperor was there and some of his men were there. And Genesius, you know, he's doing the sketch and he gets to the point where he's gonna be baptized. He gets in the water and goes to get dunked. And, you know, they're saying the words, you know, however they said it back then, you know, the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you know, buried with, with Christ in, in death, raised to walk in newness of life. And as he got dunked and came back out of the water, he was converted. Something happened. And he got up and he, and he like stopped everything. He's like, I don't know what just happened, but I actually believe this. Everybody thought it was part of the sketch. They thought it was, a, they thought it was part of the joke. And so they're laughing, they're laughing. And then they start really, no, he's actually, he's being serious. And so the emperor said, get him out of here. So they took him away and they, you know, they said, look, you can denounce your faith in Christ. Because at that time, um, that was atheism, right? To denounce, the, Rome, to denounce the, the Roman gods and believe in any other god, believe in Jesus, that was atheism. You can get killed for that. So denounce Jesus. And he said, no. And this is what he said as they began to torture him. Let me pull it up real quickly. As they began to... Um, they stretched him out and they began um, scourging him and burning him with torches. And as, as they're doing this, this is the day that he had just become a follower of Christ. He said, there is but one king I know. It is he that I love and worship. If I were to be killed a thousand times for my loyalty to him, I would still be his servant. Christ is on my lips. Christ is in my heart. No amount of suffering will take him from me. He didn't say, part one is on my lips. He didn't say anything about Moses. He didn't say anything about Elijah. He didn't say anything about the law. If you go and you look at the last words of martyrs throughout church history, nine times out of, out of 10, their last dying words is something specifically about Christ. When you, when you decide to move into a house that's just a slab and two by fours, that's not gonna last very long. When you find the house of your dreams, you don't wanna move out. Nothing, you know, it can take the storms. Christ himself. But in these last days, he is spoken to us by his son. Jesus, you know, confronts his disciples and he confronts you, everybody here, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What do I mean to you? Not your spouse, not your parents, not your friends, not the person you said hey to in the lobby. Say that I am. At the end of the day, that is what matters. Not what you do, right? Because the gospel is this that it's done, not do, right? Jesus, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. It is finished. And it is finished, and that is enough. If you really believe that in your heart, if you if you lay hold of that, that will make you stand up in the face of the threat of death and say, look, take the world, but give me Jesus. I'm good. He is enough. Nothing else will satisfy me but him. Who 
do you say that I am? Jesus, the one who laid down his life for you. He's the one who took the cross first, and now he does call you to take that up behind him. But only after he went there first for you. So this is my invitation to you guys, to all of us as we sit with this word from God right now and as we spend the next couple of months in the book of Hebrews. Will you listen to him and not say, well, I've heard it all, I actually know everything there is to know about this Jesus. But listen to him with fresh ears and a fresh and open heart, considering him, assuming that if he's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, there is, there is more in him for you to know. There's more in him to anchor you in the storms of life, in the face of whatever may come. So I want to give you a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes and just spend a moment with this Jesus, the one who has spoken a better and truer word that you are forgiven freely by his finished work and nothing that you can do. So I just want to give you a moment to pray and to be in the presence of Jesus. disciples, followers of you, just like this early um, house church in Italy, even though they profess faith in you, Lord, even in our hearts, we still, like Peter, um, can take our eyes off of him as we walk on water and then we start to sink. So Lord, would you help each of us, each one here, Father, would you help us to have a deeper grasp in our hearts of the Son? Would you tune our minds in our lives to him. Would you turn up that volume louder than anything else, louder than our own sin, louder than the deriding uh, put downs of the world, of even our own family, our friends. And Lord, would Jesus become enough for us? And from that, Lord, would you um, do amazing things in us and through us for your kingdom, for your honor and for your glory because there's no one beside you and there's no one like you. And we remember you now as we come to your table that you invite us to who were once your enemies, that you make us your sons and daughters and then you also make us each other brothers and sisters through Christ. So Father, we thank you for your great forgiveness that went that, that took you out of heaven, onto earth, in our place, dying, taking the punishment for sin, defeating the consequence of sin, death, and promising to us the hope of resurrection, everlasting life. Lord, we thank you for that. 
And we need your Holy Spirit to help us to, as Ephesians 3 says, to grasp that with all the saints, what is the height and width and depth and the love of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.